to make your way out to your groups. Great to see so many. We put a lot of chairs out today in anticipation. It looks like it was quite, quite a wise move. So <laughs> praise you, Steve. I was like, seriously, Steve, it's a lot of chairs, but it's full of faith. So yeah, I'm Andy. Good to have you with us. Um, today's going to be a little bit different. I'm not quite sure how it's going to like flow if you're kind of expecting a kind of systematic uh, preach like you might get at some churches. I, I'm very fluid today about what God's going to do. We've got a song we'd like to sing later. We're going to have different people speaking. Uh, how we pray for those people and what I'm going to bring today, I'm not quite sure. But that's good because I want the Spirit to guide us this morning. So um, I want to restate a scripture that I put up uh, two, we oh, two weeks ago. Got to get some tape for this thing. Uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, God has anointed us to do his work. Amen. He has anointed us to do his work work. We do not call God into our works. We do not say, listen, this is what I want to do. Uh, this is what I'm, I'm served for. So can you come alongside what I want to do? Now we say, what is it that you are looking to do? What is your will? And how might I align with that? And not only do we ask that request and he says, yes. And he says, but I will anoint you to do it. I will empower you to do it. So when we line up with his will, he will anoint us to do it. When we don't line up with his will, he won't. Okay, so if we do things in our own flesh for our own benefit, that's not where God's spirit falls upon us. And this is, whoops, I cannot advance. Is that? Let's see what happens. Ah, there we go. Isaiah uh, 61, verses 1 to 2. This is a well-known scripture, but, but this is just such an honor and privilege to read out again and again. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of our vengeance, the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. God has anointed us to do this. This is an honor. This is an absolute blow my mind privilege that he would anoint me and you to do this. Not to, in my case, train people in continuous improvement, the Japanese management technique. What's the, what's the value in that in the grand kingdom? I'm thankful I've got a job, but that's not what I want to be anointed for. I want to be anointed to do this. When we are praying, we are not praying, um, not praying to God, but aligning ourselves in prayer to what God wants, which means it's very important that prayer doesn't become a one-way communication upwards. It is a dialogue. It's what we've been talking about today and we were talking about Friday. It's this understanding, listening to God, seeing where he wants us to go and then saying yes and amen to what he wants. There's a great book. I've been tr struggling a bit recently. I said this to some guys on Friday morning, finding a book that really got me motivated. And then funnily enough, Friday, I picked this up from the church office and it's not going back for a while. How to Pray, C.S. Lewis. It's a collection of reflections and essays. And I've shortened what he said a little bit but this is all, think about this in the context of ministering and feeding the hungry. And all we just prayed about, this is, this is interesting and quite challenging. God doesn't need any of those things to be done by finite agents, by us. He could, if he chose, heal our bodies, feed without farmers, teach us without teachers, and convert the heathen without missionaries. But instead, he uses his creation, the muscles, minds, and will of man to cooperate in the execution of his will. He doesn't need us, but for reasons we cannot fully fathom, he chooses to work with us, and that's just an honor and a privilege. Lewis goes on to 
to quote Blaise Pascal, who's a French philosopher, like I quote many a French philosopher in my life. I didn't know that until I looked it up, let's be clear. But he said this, God, God instituted prayer in order to lend his creatures the dignity of causality. Like you're involved now in the cause and effect. You're involved in what's going to happen. That gives us dignity. Like we are part of what you're trying to do here is a dignifying position to hold. He says at the end, for God seems to do nothing of himself which he can possibly delegate to his creatures. He commands us to do slowly and blunderingly what he could do in the twinkling of an eye. We are not mere recipients or spectators. We are either privileged to share in the game or collaborate in the work. That's, that's just like, that's why I'm going to not give this book back for a while, okay? That sort of struck me and stopped me and thinking, I'm so privileged to be called into his purposes. It's humbling. When you think we broke this world and he is on a mission to fix it and has brought us into the thing we broke and said, like any good dad, you broke it, we're going to fix it. I mean, that's good fathering, right? Not that we'd sit back and say, can you fix this? while I play on my Xbox. No, get up, come with me, we're going to fix this. It's an amazing dignity, an amazing privilege. It's not that weird when you think of that analogy. And let's think of the gospel, okay? Fixing the greatest break of ever, the separation of us from God by sin. He fixes that. He sends his son, Jesus, to pay for our sin and then calls us to share in the spreading of the good news. And this is filled, privileged, honored position to hold. He could have just said, look what you've done. I'll make it clear that every, what I'll do to fix it. No, he calls us into that mission to save mankind. As Brian brought out, the savior of the world. And we get to sing about it and share about it. But today I'm going to talk about a broken world. And I'm going to seed, is that the right word? Seed my time. Is that what the Americans say at the end of their bits on the, I'm going to seed my time to two other people. So I'm not going to preach for that long. Um, although Aaron said that once and went on for a long time. Uh, it's a 10 minute preach. He was like, 30 minutes. That's a record. Anyway, I'm going to genuinely try and do it in 20 minutes. Seed my time over to Kat and Matthew. I haven't seen yet. Matt, you're in the room. Thank the Lord for that. Okay. <laughs> Fill a lot of time. Um, and then we're going to, that's what I mean by the prayer part. We can probably have a time of reflection whilst we sing a, a song that I hope is a ministering song. You don't have to sing along with it. And we're going to pray for Kat. And we're going to pray for Matt. And you, we're going to pray for you. And we're going to wait on God. So who knows how this is going to end. Someone better warn the kids' workers to be ready for anything at the end of this service. I'm going to talk about restoring a broken relationship and the healing of a broken system. So. This is my son, Joel. Okay? Now, maybe you'll know. Do you notice anything about him? Apart from that, clearly he's very tall. Yeah, if you don't know him, he's six foot. Is he ten or nine? Nine. Okay. Him there to make him shorter. But he's six foot nine. Okay, that's him getting his new car, so he's very happy. But do you notice anything about him that's similar to me? Dress code. Yeah? This thing. This open shirt thing, that I don't know when it started in my life, but for some reason, at some point, I started to wear T-shirts and open shirts. I think it was to cover up the spare tire, frankly. But anyway, I, I've worn dress like this for years. And without prompting, my son started to do the same. He generally wears a shirt over a T-shirt like that. Once Hannah and Oscar stayed with us for years, 
and Oscar started, to, well, about a year, Oscar started to do it. And one day he said, look, mum, I'm Andy. And he had a T-shirt on and his shirt over the top and a pair of jeans. Like, yep, you picked up something because you've been around, um, in, in Joel's case, his father for years. He became an imitator of his father because he was close up to him, around him all the time. And slowly, without even knowing it, he's imitating his father. In Genesis, we read in creation that God was close to mankind. Yeah, When he creates things, he's nearby. There's, no, there's lots of arguments about how he was present in, in the Garden of Eden. It says they heard him. They could hear him. He was there. He was close and he was present. And interestingly, he then, as he creates man and woman, very quickly he puts us to, to his work. He says, you're called in to tend in this garden. This is the work I've got for you to do. Were the relationships, relationships all stayed like that, close up to God? We would be natural imitators of the Father. It would just be because we're with him all the time, we're naturally reflecting his character and his nature. Charles Spurgeon in a preach about called imitators of God says this. I think it's down in the left, actually. There you go. Be imitators of God as dear children. Not as slaves might imitate their master, unwillingly, unwillingly dreading the crap of his whip, but loving, willing imitators, such as children are. You do not urge your children to imitate you. They copy us by force of nature. They cannot help it. We allow sin to break the relationship between us and God. Sin starts its viral impact, greed and selfishness, our selfish nature creeps in and becomes our apparent global defaults as a human race. There is good in us, no question. I think we know there's good in us, but listen, let's be honest. When you go up and you look down at how that we run this planet, we can't argue that we are good. From Genesis 3 onwards, from sin onwards, we start to imitate the character of those we spend the most time with, other people, not God. We start to pray about cars and houses. And trust me, before I knew Jesus, I was praying for a girlfriend. Well, yeah, every, when I had a girlfriend, I was praying for another girlfriend. Bad people are bad, okay? That was what I was praying for because all I knew was what I wanted. All I was imitating was those around me. The circle of friends I was in, that was all we were about. So I would imitate them. This chasm that sins creates pushes us further and further and further away from his will. And how can we be hands and feet when we can't get close enough to hear what he wants us to do? How are we going to do that if we're cut off from him forever? But we're not cut off from him forever. We're not. God offers this way to take away the very thing that is dividing us from him. Sin, the chasm that sin creates between man and God. There's loads of images. You've seen them all. Whatever you want to use to visualize this. The chasm is closed or bridged, whatever, on the cross. Cross is sim not simply, and this is one of the challenges by how easy it is to sell the gospel in a, in a false or a weakened way, but that it's simply the eradication of sin. 
It's cosmic barrier removal. It's the opportunity to walk up to God and have a relationship with God. Yes, sin is the thing that separates us from him, but okay, so now the sin's gone. What? It's no, the barrier has gone. You can walk into his presence. You can walk daily with it. Now you can get close to him. Now you can understand what he's all about. And again, it's an honor and a privilege to do that. It's summed up beautifully in 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 20, which says this. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses or sins against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Again, dignity. Therefore, We are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on the behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Hallelujah. We are reconciled to God. Now we can come close again. And as Spurgeon then puts it again, such will be the holiness of the genuine Christian. His imitation of God springs out of his relationship to God. In close relationship, we start to know and understand the heart of God. We, we read about, you know, be transformed by the renewing of your mind so you might know his will. This isn't an academic exercise, folks. As we draw close to God, we start to know what his will is. And if we're sensitive to the whispers and the voice of the Holy Spirit, we know that isn't a fixed thing in time. It's changing, as I said two weeks ago, with whatever is, with, is in front of us, whoever is in front of us. God is constantly aware of what's happening in this world and constantly at work. And we need to be listening because he's not laying a plan out for five years and then stepping back. Jesus prayed this himself. He said with the cup, yeah, the cup of wrath. When he prayed, he then said, your will be done. Like, I don't want this. Who would want this? But it's your will that will be done. He aligns with God's will in his prayer. He taught us to pray the Lord's Prayer. Want to hear a good uh, talk on that? Look at Lizzie from years ago. Great exposition of the Lord's Prayer. But in it we say, your will be done. So we need to know what his will is, to pray what his will is, to then do what his will is. Like that Pascal said, God instituted prayer in order to lend his creatures the dignity of being involved in what God is trying to do. Causality. It's a privilege to be asked to pray, not a chore. And I know that may rub a bit, yeah? So busy. Time to pray. Many a great man or woman of God has said, in order to do what I have to do, I have to give more time to pray, to do what God has called me to do. There's others, I can't remember who quoted it, it said something like, you know, oh, I've got so much to do today, I'm going to have to pray even more before I do it, you know, because you want to do what God's called you to do, not out of duty or habit or relationship. Lewis puts it brutally in this book. He says, to say a prayer is not to pray. Otherwise, a team of properly trained parrots would serve as well as man. So going to prayer or prayer meetings or moments of prayer and just being like, well, this is pretty much pretty dry and empty because it's not a moment of relationship. I mean, God tells us to petition but if someone walked into my front room that I didn't know and sat down on my couch and said, I'm really upset about you not paying for my university fees, I'd be like, who are you? 
What do you, what do you, what do you expect? I don't even know who you are. So to come up and petition to God who you have a relationship, God's saying, yes, I mean, I know, because you're, me, my will is your will. We are together in what you're praying for. The ultimate solution to this world is for God's kingdom to come into our lives and to come into our towns and to come into our families and to come into this nation and to descend on this globe. The ultimate solution will be in Jesus, his kingdom will come fully. But in the meantime, we can pray for God to intercede his kingdom to come into so many situations because it says the kingdom of God has come already in Jesus. So we continue to pray. Would it come into this situation, that situation? Will what's evil and cruel be turning to love? Not just in our lives. That's important that we ask kingdom to come into our lives, but global global situations we pray your kingdom come because when we step back and we look at the world we think it is still so broken your kingdom come and your will be done i don't know about you when you watch the news sometimes i just I, I'm, a, I'm generally someone who likes to turn the news on i find it so difficult these days to watch i don't mean these days in the last few months i mean in the last like five to ten years just watching and hurting and thinking my word what is going on? Kingdom come, Lord, because we need it so badly. So I'm going to be speak just briefly on healing a broken system. And then I'm going to give the rest of my time over to a few people who are going to hear from and then pray for who are actively involved in agencies that are God's hand and feet acting up. So as you're about to hear, as people share, I don't want to make this an optimistic, like upbeat preach against a backdrop of such difficulty, because we've been called into God's purposes to fix this world, to fix people that are hurting. That's his job. We are part of his hands and feet to do that. So you're going to hear about what greed and lust can do, two types of sin to call them out on an industrial scale. On a global scale, people trapped in systems that we create. But critically, there are individuals and organizations and people working to see God's will be done, to set the captives free, to heal the sick. Just to be clear, all healing is God's healing. Supernatural healing is God's healing. We pray for this morning. But natural healing through doctors and the gifts he's given us is God's healing. He's looking to heal those that are sick. We've been co-labored with God, but there was a matter of urgency here I think we need to know. There's chronic injustice and inequality in our world. You'll hear about injustice and slavery, and you'll hear about inequality of where health, what we take for granted, is not available to the rest of the world. I know this from just, and we'll hear more extreme examples from Matt shared a little bit, but even spending time with, with the Afghan guys, realizing we run the national health down, okay? It's not the best run thing in the world, but my word, to have that ability to just walk in. I know you'll probably sit there for four hours and complain bitterly about the wait, maybe two or three, but that is an amazing thing to have. Thank you, Lord. I think we're going to need to pray at two levels today, two ways today. We need to pray for the gospel, 
to break for God's kingdom to come and break cycles of sin that create a world situation. We want to pray that that will be broken. And we want to pray for those directly involved in the intervention in the meantime, helping those right now suffering. While we pray, God, would you break the cycles of sin that we might see his kingdom come because mankind seems incapable of healing itself. We are more enlightened than ever, more educated than ever. We have more than ever. Yet we have a, the worst slavery problem in our history, as you will hear. Right. So we've been enlightened. We've been woken up. We now know what's right and wrong because it, we can hear about it and see about it. We don't do anything about it. And mankind doesn't, cannot heal itself. It doesn't do it. So we need God's kingdom to come. There's a song that came to mind. It's not a Christian song. I don't know if the guy who wrote it was Christian, but it's by a band from a long time ago, so everyone my age and above will know. Delamitri, remember those guys? This is a song that really, I remember it, and um, it says this in part the song. And build hoardings advertise products that nobody needs. Computer terminals report some gains in the values of copper and tin, while American businessmen snap up Van Goghs for the price of a hospital wing. Nothing ever happens. Nothing happens at all. The media returns to start the song and we sing along like this. Like, like, we just keep cycling round and round. Nothing changes. We're still greedy. We still can't seem to heal ourselves. Inability to heal a broken system. God breaks systems. Jesus on the cross breaks the cycle of sin as our master, and he gives us righteousness. God is a pattern-breaking God. Jesus broke the ultimate pattern of sin, and he can change and heal this world. Romans 6, 16 to 18 says this, You are slaves to the one whom you obey, either sin which leads to death or of obedience which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you were once slaves to sin, have become obedient to the heart Sorry, become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves to righteousness. God is a pattern-breaking, cycle-breaking God that can take people out, slaves to sin, to be slaves to righteousness. The world needs this so badly, and we need to be praying for the hearts of people who would do evil to be changed by the gospel towards God, and hearts that are determined right now to sin would become slaves to righteousness. I want us to consider today something that might be a bit controversial when we look at Matt and Kat. They come up. As they come up, they're both really capable people. They could do pretty well without God. They could do without the power of God, and they could do a very good job in the eyes of man because they're both intelligent, they're both capable. To what, and they, yeah, they are. Fill them with the Spirit of God. Amen. Glory. What would they do? Know the heart of God in everyday situations, in the work and the agencies that work for. Oh my word, what they they could do. Covered by a wave of prayer from this church to support them and others in this church, because there's others doing work. You've got the Browns out in Egypt and Cairo about to start and a whole new thing out there. Finally, after five years of waiting, it seems like now's the time when something may start to happen with the church out there. They could Dan's quite capable of putting a PA system in and turning the lights on. 
that put the power of God, the Spirit of God amongst them in that group of people out of power. Let's see what happens. This is where heaven can touch earth as we're going to hear about the work they do. I'm going to invite Kath up first, if that's all right. She said last night her notes kept getting bigger and bigger, so let's, let's see. After um, both of them have shared, we're going to pray for them. We're going to start by playing, playing a video. I think this is going to work. Awesome. Have you got that video playing? You can, of course. Hi, church. This is fun. Um, uh, it is wonderful to have the opportunity to speak to you today. Um, I'm Kat Townley. For those of you who don't know me, um, I've been a part of X1 in some shape or form since uh, 2009. Um, so I've been here for a fair few years. Andy's asked me to talk today about something that I am deeply passionate about and the work that I do, why we need God in that space, and what you can do to support that. So I've been working in tackling modern-day slavery since 2012, uh, where I went out to California to work in rescue and rehabilitation for girls and women who were in the sex trade. It was pretty eye-opening. <laughs> Uh, following that, I volunteered with International Justice Mission for a few years, and I now work for the Freedom Fund, which is an NGO that tackles modern-day slavery. Some of you might not know what modern-day slavery is, uh, but there are now more people than at any other point in history who are stuck in slavery. It's estimated that there are currently between 40 to 47 million people in modern-day slavery or who are being exploited. Human trafficking is an $150 billion a year industry. Now, that number seems really difficult to fathom. So when I tell you that that is more money in a year than Google, Starbucks, Nike, and the NFL make, combine that, and human trafficking makes more money than all four of those organizations. So it is a really, really big problem. So I'm just going to share a quick video about what we do at the Freedom Fund, although uh, as it was made over four years ago, I will show you some updated numbers at the end because it's really exciting to see how that work has grown. It ought to concern every person because it is a debasement of our common humanity. I'm talking about the injustice, the outrage of human trafficking which must be called by its true name, modern slavery. Slavery is the most grotesque abuse of human rights. That there are millions of people living on this world who've been stripped of their dignity, stripped of their autonomy, stripped of their humanity. There are about 40 million people estimated to live in conditions of slavery in the world today. More than 70% of those are women and girls. Victims of slavery are threatened with violence and forced to work. This crime touches us all. It taints the clothes that we wear, the food that we eat, and the phones that we use. But by working with courageous activists on the front lines of slavery, and by encouraging governments to prioritize this fight, we can end modern slavery. The Freedom Fund is a leader in the global movement to end modern slavery. We invest in the most effective efforts to end this crime in countries with the highest burden of slavery. We tackle the systems that allow slavery to persist. 
We now work with over 100 frontline partner organizations around the world to end this atrocity. And working together, we have liberated over 10,000 victims from slavery. And we've directly improved the lives of hundreds of thousands of people in slavery or at risk of it. We have a long way to go, but working together and with your support, we can end modern slavery. What it's going to take is for all of us to engage with it so that we can make people everywhere safe. Together, we really can end slavery. I watched that video before I went to work at the Freedom Fund when I knew I had an interview. I watched that video 25 times and I cried every single time. Um, it's wonderful to see what we've done recently. So, if uh, George, if you could put that slide up. Um, we actually just celebrated one million lives directly impacted at the Freedom Fund recently, which is just such an amazing, amazing accomplishment and one that I'm deeply proud of. Um, that's directly impacted, so if they were at risk of exploitation or were living in slavery. A uh, number of people liberated is coming up to 30,000. Again, that's sustainable, lifelong liberation from slavery. Happy days. <laughs> um, at risk, children in school, so kids that were previously at risk, um, coming up to 83,000 there. Um, over 6,000 legal cases assisted, so with human trafficking. It's incredibly difficult to see justice happen. So we work in legal systems to change those and to assist cases directly so that justice can happen. Um, community freedom groups supported. So these are sustainable freedom groups um, created out of places where we're working that um, advocate for change and are phenomenal. Um, almost 12,000 groups have been established. Um, and survivors who are accessing social and legal services. So these are survivors who were in slavery um, now 55,418. Um, now all of these are um, externally evaluated, which is wonderful. I love working in an organization with complete transparency and external evaluation because it means that these numbers we know are like absolutely accurate. I mean, down to the one there. <laughs> um, I want to talk about why God cares uh, and what we can do. Um, George, if you wouldn't mind just putting on one more slide. Thank you. Oh, Andy. <laughs> Thanks, Andy. Um, so I would love to use the Psalms to illustrate the following points. Uh, Psalms has never been the same for me since I read this through before bedtime when I worked in a rescue home with survivors. Uh, it hits really differently reading Psalms when the women you are sat around the table with genuinely have people who are hunting them down to try and kill them. It has been a book that has never been able to untangle that memory from of the girls sat around the table praying for safety. So I believe that God is a God of compassion. Uh, Psalm 116 says that the Lord is full of compassion. And the word compassion comes from two Latin words, which means to suffer with. He is with the victims of trafficking and he suffers alongside them. Secondly, I believe that God is a God of righteous anger. So time and time again in scripture, God promises judgment and accountability to those who perpetrate injustice. And in the book of Psalms, the author cries out for God's righteous anger. And I would just not want to know a God that is not righteously angry about slavery. 
that he isn't a passive God that's just sad or angry, that he is active. I believe that God is a God of rescue. In Psalm 35, verses 10, it says, Oh Lord, who is like you? You deliver the weak from those too strong for them. And God's plan for rescue, it involves us. In Psalm 10, verses 17 through 18, it says, Oh Lord, you will hear the desire of the meek. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline their ear to do justice for the orphan and the oppressed, so that those from earth may strike terror no more. And Gary Haugen, who is the leader of IJM, who we've partnered with and done some work with, has written this phenomenal book called Just Courage, uh, God's Great Expedition for the Restless Christian. So if you are a restless Christian like me, you might really love this book, and I'd be more than happy to give you it. Um, But in here, he writes it so eloquently. He says, Doing the work of justice is practicing the one command that sums up the scriptures to love God with our heart, soul, and mind, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Justice is doing for others what we would want done for us. This is why Hebrews 13 verse 3 puts the work of justice in the context of love, exhorting us to remember those who are in prison as though you were in prison with them, and those who are being tortured as though you yourselves were being tortured. For those neighbors around the world who are suffering injustice, we cannot say that we love them if we do not draw near and seek justice on their behalf. We must seek to rescue our neighbours with the dedication and urgency with which we would go about trying to rescue our own family or even ourselves. In a world of injustice, loving intervention on behalf of the oppressed is simple obedience to Jesus' most fundamental command, which is to love our neighbour. So what does that mean? Does that all mean that you need to come and work with me? (laughs) Absolutely not. There is work that you can do, though. You can look for products which are either directly slavery-free. There's this phenomenal chocolate brand called Tony's Chocolonely. You can get this in Waitrose. The salted caramel one is phenomenal. Uh, Sainsbury's and Tesco's. It's not too difficult to do little sustainable things for change. And if you have to eat chocolate to do it, it's not so difficult. Um, You can look for products which have clear supply chains. So recently, Gareth and Jenny talked about their revival coffee, where they know exactly where that coffee is coming from. And you can invest in coffee and chocolate are one of the biggest things that slavery is really in all of the supply chains. So you can really invest in those. And a lot of retailers will have modern day slavery statements on their website. And you can read about what they are doing to tackle slavery in their supply chains. Uh, You can also ask me and I'll tell you some better places to shop if you are really interested. You can financially give to programs that are doing amazing work. Uh, You can financially give to us. Um, But we're in the lovely position of not really needing it (laughs) um, after we had an amazing donation last year. Um, But I know many other organizations that will really benefit from financial giving. And I can signpost you to those places if you are interested. But this is what God really put on my heart last night. You can pray. We need God in the broken places. Let me tell you, it is war and nothing less. When I started at the Freedom Fund, Yvonne came up to me and said she was going to cover me in prayer and ask for her prayer group to have pray with me. And it was the first time that someone had explicitly talked about prayer covering for me. I was like, wow, that's amazing. I really, really need that. I'm the only Christian in my organization that I know of. Uh, And I promptly forgot to ask for prayer for many years. And I tried to do it without Jesus. It is more exhausting than you can ever know. 
I ask you to pray for me and over me and everybody who is working in this space. Fighting against darkness is exhausting. And the people who are working there are probably not fully okay. <laughs> we have seen things that we can never unsee and we need backup. We need backup. We need encouragement and a reminder of the goodness of our Father. We need the light of the world in the dark of the world. And we need you to catch the ones that are falling through the gaps. We may have impacted the lives of one million people, which is so overwhelmingly beautiful. There are still 46 million others. We need you to catch the ones that fall through the gaps. The ones we haven't yet reached. The men, women, and children who are still in slavery. We need you to intercede for systems to change, for perpetrators to encounter Jesus, for healing, for life, for freedom. Prayer is the most powerful weapon and something every single person in this room can do. Finally, I believe that God is a God of redemption. I am a former wild child who met Jesus trying to pick up drugs in a parking lot. So let me tell you that I believe that God wholeheartedly is a God of redemption. I have seen freedom. I have seen survivors encounter Christ and have their lives turned around. Straying from Psalms for this one, because I love this verse so much. Isaiah 61 verse 3 says, I provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of despair. Tackling an issue this large can seem overwhelming, but there's a phrase one of my all-time heroes, Heidi Baker, said, which has always stuck with me, which is, God is God, and I am not. Hooray. <laughs> God will redeem, and he will have the ultimate victory, and I believe that there will be a day where slavery no longer exists. Amen. But we need backup, church. We need backup. You are just as critical and just as crucial as the people on the front lines. And a game, uh, I hate that I'm doing a sports analogy, I'm sorry, I'm not a sports person. But a game cannot be won without a strong defense section. We need backup. If every single person was in a front line, we just have one line of people. We need a defense section. Your words have more power than you know. Your prayers have more power than you know. And God is listening. Thanks, church. Amen. Wow, what do I need to add to that? Nothing at all except for yes and amen. We're going to have a chance to pray for Kat at the end, so I'm going to give you the opportunity to, to go and pray with her, um, but also pray with Matt, who's about to share. Do you want to play the video first, Matt? Yeah, okay. So Matt's joining Mercy Ships. It's the last time he's with us for a while, so let's see what Matt's going to be doing. Two out of three people in the world don't have access to safe, affordable, and timely surgery, many of whom are in pain or who've been going through really debilitating illnesses. Mercy Ships follows a 2,000-year-old model of Jesus, bringing hope and healing to the world's forgotten poor. Five billion of our brothers and sisters and family around the world lack access to safe and effective surgery. That statement alone explains why Mercy Ships exists. We bring all of the infrastructure services that we need to operate a world-class hospital on a ship. It's a powerful tool.
In addition to the life save, the hope restored, Mercy Shifts is providing people with training and tools. Is there a better way to communicate the gospel when one has been blind? But now they can see. It is that gospel that is intricately right in the middle of the work of Mercy Shifts. La première fois, parce que j'avais regardé mon visage quand m'a opéré hier. Parce que j'avais encore la bande bombe bombe comme ça, je me disais que peut-être que ma. Mais quand on a enlevé la bande, premier pansement, j'ai dit que oui, me voici, est-ce que c'est vraiment réel? Essentially, I I will be so I was in Mercy Ships last more than last year, um, twenty twenty. I was there for ten weeks, and um, only by you know provision and support from this church, where I I took any old role I could take, and I ended up working in the dining room for a little while, and in that time I got a job opportunity. Mercy Ships asked me to come back, take a long term commitment, which is going to be for two years. I'll be working in the medical capacity with them. Now, Mercy Ships, I've, I've asked to put this slide up because it kind of works in three formats. Um, I don't know if you've, have you ever heard the, you know, the, the parable of the teacher and the wise, a teacher and a man's fish. You, know, you can give a man a fish and feed him for a day, or you can give the teacher his fish and feed him for a day. And so essentially, there's this, I kind of break it down alongside this parable where the first part of Mercy Ships' impact is reducing the surgical backlog. That is very much simply giving the man a fish. Um, there is a backlog of healthcare uh, needs in the country that we're impacting that we just we can't keep up with that. So we essentially take the hospital to them, as crazy as that sounds. We, there's a converted ship. The deck free of the ship is a working hospital. And actually this year, I'm very happy to say it was the first time we're able to launch two ships, and the second one being larger and a purpose-built ship so the whole the whole ship itself is purpose built to provide healthcare. Um, so that is to increase the number of fish we can give. Essentially, um, the second aspect is the mentor and to train local healthcare professionals. Now this I'd say is the aspect of teaching the man to fish. Um, I so this this area is specifically where I will be working. Um, so I'll be working as part of the team called the MCB team, the Medical Capacity Building. And that is simply to increase the medical capacity of the country. Um, what we do, we run kind of five areas of support. Um, they have a, a Food for Life program, because actually we believe good healthcare starts in nutrition. Um, they have palliative care, 
um, safe surgery. Basically, there's a lot of times, you know, medical negligence or just the equipment, the tools aren't up to scratch, and sometimes people can end up worse off than they started. Um, and there's a bunch of other ones which we essentially vary throughout what the needs of the country are. Um, so this year, I'll be uh, serving specifically in Senegal up until November time, uh, and then we'll look to go on to Liberia and then Madagascar. Now, um, in those areas, we, as I say, we have kind of those specific needs for the MCB uh, for the MCB to do in those areas. But at the same time, um, my team we work simultaneously across various African countries on the west coast. So we've got projects in Togo, in Guinea, in Cameroon. Um, Senegal, of course, starting off in Liberia. Um, so all together, we will be impacting um, about 6,947 healthcare professionals. Those are how many we've got signed up to kind of take on these courses and up, up the standards of healthcare. Um, and actually, what I, what I want to share is there's one, I guess, testimonial story that, that really sticks with me when I heard it and got me really excited about this this second point, the second aspect. Um, and as you can tell, it's probably more sustainable development aligned. And in it, so in Guinea, about five years ago, there was a doctor who went on the mentoring course and basically upped his um, surgical standards. And what he did, this guy is amazing, and I actually don't have the name, and I've, it's going to be my mission to, to follow it up. But as he was being trained up, as soon as he finished, he started training up three other guys while Mercy Ships was still there. So he was getting regular mentoring and touching base and having kind of a coach to coach him how to coach, right? And so then these, um, this guy was teaching three other guys. Now, when we had left, um, he carried on teaching those guys and it kind of snowballed. And so what it, the, the surgery needs was within eye care. And what had happened is, so Mercy Ships takes five-year contracts per country. So we follow through and stay up to date and see what the needs are even up until five years afterwards. Now, what had happened was we were going to go back to Guinea to um, see what the situation was. And, you know, this is the real um, amen moment where what we found out is this guy had trained up so many doctors they could fulfill the surgical needs for all of eye care in Guinea. And so that is really teaching the man how to fish. You know, and we want more and more of those things. And I do believe, you know, my understanding of discipleship or, or leadership, especially from a Christian perspective, is essentially to make ourselves obsolete. And, and that's, that's my heart. That's my model. I want us to go there, not with a case of leaving anything behind, but actually passing on, say, you run with this. And that's what the medical capacity building does. And the third aspect is, um, to renovate and improve local healthcare facilities. Now, the medical capacity building is tied into that because it is a physical building that they can do some surgeries in. Um, as I said, with the new ship launching, we're able to provide a facility where they can you know, do the surgeries while they're renovating the other um, physical spaces. But I, going back to the analogy, I sim simply see this as giving the person the fishing rod or the fishing net. You know, we want to give them the best tools to, to carry out mission set before them. Um, so I think, shared with Andy, and if he doesn't mind, I would love to share a bit about um, what I had on my heart in regards to Acts 6. Um, 
so actually, when I was, for those of you who know, I was in, um, in Zimbabwe towards the end of last year. And coming to the end of my time there, I came, I was reading this passage, and that just, it just really struck me. And it was on my heart to actually share it with the church. And I do feel it's relevant. And forgive me in advance for taking out my phone as my Bible. Uh, but it fits in the pocket, so, you know. Andy was very kind in saying that I'm a capable person. Um, we'll see how that plays out over the two years. <laughs> but no, I wanted to read from, from Acts 6, and I, I don't think I'll read, well, I won't read the whole thing, but um, it's, let me just go on here, because I'm a bit all over the place. But now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out among yourselves seven men of good repute, full of spirit and of wisdom, whom we will anoint to do this duty, appoint to do this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So this pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and then lists on the other six names. Now, what I want to just draw out in that, that first part before I just read the rest is um, there was a need there. There's a real need, and it's a need that's been evident throughout the whole of Scripture. Even if you look at the Old Testament, it talks about a need to, to provide for the poor and to take care of the widows. Right? There was, this need wasn't being fulfilled. And actually what it says the disciples did was they called on all of the disciples. So this was a need that needed to be taken on by the whole body of the church. And so just following on from what Kat was saying, there is a definite role you fulfill in, in seeing that need as yours to be taken on. Um, and then the other aspect I wanted to draw out is it says, pick someone, pick people who are full of the spirit. And... I think with that, I think that just struck me that regardless of what you think your role should be or what you should look to, how you should look to serve, um, just look to be filled with the Spirit. Um, I know sometimes, I don't know if this is the case, but maybe some of you, I remember when I used to kind of see talks like this come up and you have these people coming to the front and saying, this is where I'm impacting. It's like, oh, I don't know, I'm just doing some random old job somewhere in the UK and I can't really impact this and I just want to do away with that notion because I think you can have impact as long as you're filled with the spirit as as Andy was saying we are fulfilling the work that God is already doing we're partnering with him in the work that he's already doing and so if the spirit is in you you will naturally do that work without even realizing it to some extent um, and yeah, and it says, and it almost says towards the end, we will, it is not right if we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. And there's almost this mentality of um, mindset that there's some tasks higher than the other. And I'm not going to say whether that's right or wrong, because it, it's scripture and it would take a whole long talk to, to break that down. But what I will say is what we go on to see, Stephen gets seized. And in it, it says his face was like an angel and he was filled with the spirit in that moment of his capture. 
But what it goes on to say is that he gives a testimony of the goodness of God in his life and the goodness of God to all the Jews and the history that's gone before. And what? If you, when you read through all of Acts, you'll see that actually the story he provides is very similar to the testimony that Paul gives and the testimony that Peter gives. And I just want to draw that out because I think whilst they thought they were committing, the, the disciples were committing to a greater position, Stephen in his lowly position was just filled by the spirit and did the everyday thing and served those widows. He ended up having the same impact as the ones who thought they're going to do a significant work. So I don't know if that makes sense, but that's just what I wanted to draw out to us today. Is if we're filled with the spirit and seek to do that every day, dying to self to be filled with the spirit, there's no telling what God may choose to do through us. Um, and so I kind of, I don't have much else to say except for I do believe, just reflect, actually, I became, I became a member of Christ First in 2019 and in my heart to just be led where God leads me. I've traveled to different nations and served in different projects just as long as I've been in the country here since joining the church. And I don't say that, I, I don't take that lightly because I appreciate it's been a season where the world has stopped traveling. You know, I've not had the finances to do it and been able to do some things that would cost a lot of money by provision of this church. And so I'm saying those two things because I believe this mission that God is sending me on to go to Merth Ships is a fulfillment, uh, is is. Can, I, there has been confirmation leading me into this direction because I would not have been able to do this in my own strength. I would not have been able to manage that money without the support of the church, the whole body of believers, which Acts calls for. I would not have been able to have the impact and to go the places where I was called to go to if it wasn't for God opening those doors. Um, so that's my, I guess, practical just acknowledgement that God's leading me into this place. And I want to maybe hand back over to Andy because I don't know how he wants to be. Yeah, I've got it. Thank you. Thank you very much. That's well. All right. Um, so what I think we'll do, as I said, I'm fluid here and we've, we've got a bit of an overrun. I hope you don't mind considering what's been shared today. Um, we'll kind of sort of close the meeting softly at that point, but I want us to pray with these guys. So what I'd ask is that actually, um, you know, you can go and get tea and coffee if you like, but also... Go and pray with Matt. Go and pray with Kat um, for, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, of course, but also into the ministries they work in and the areas they work in, as was so eloquently put. Um, Matt's going, this is the last Sunday with us, yeah, right? So he's going very soon. So, you know, opportune moment to pray with him because you won't get another chance. Um, also, if you're interested in supporting Matt financially, as he said, that's a big part of what we've been doing as a church. But we still want to support him because it's a voluntary role, yeah? He needs financial support. Talk to him about that as well later on. But why don't we do that? And also, if you, if anything has impacted you from this morning, whether it's hearing about the gospel again or thinking, well, I just want to walk closer with God. You know, it's a great privilege and honor. I love that. I love want more of that. I to be filled with the Holy Spirit so I can work and act more in line with what God's calling me to. Then the prayer team will be waiting for you over in that corner over there, the holy corner. Not really the whole room's full of God's presence, of course, but over there they'll pray with you. So that's how we're going to end the meeting. I think it's the best way to end it. We'll save this song for another time. I think we'll use it as a reflection at another time.
So if you want to pray with Matt, please do. If you want to pray with Kat, please do. If you want prayer, the prayer team will be waiting for you in the corner.